<laughs> making the world a better place, <laughs> one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. <laughs> All right. This is Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right, welcome to the George Water Jr. Show, everybody. We're trying to get it together here. It's another beautiful day. Oh, have to be thankful. Yeah, okay. But we have to be thankful that um, the folks in Chicago, that we're not uh, getting some of the uh, bad weather, blasting snow, snowstorms that some of the some of our neighbors are getting. East Coast, uh, it's just uh, it's a mess if you've seen the videos. So we have to be kind of blessed uh, because of that. But it, but for spring, it still feels like winter in the city of Chicago, but some places, as I've just got through noting, um, are, are a lot worse, if you're following this, a lot worse. So anyway, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio, broadcasting live out of Chicago. I'm in my beautiful studio that I'm starting to call my man cave. You know, everybody, the man cave, is the man cave thing has just been taken off. You know, and, <laughs> you know, uh, Cecilia comes in, your man cave? What do you mean your man cave? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, it's 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 for the family, and um, but I, I see it more as a man cave. Anyway, I enjoy it. I I, I I'm in my studio. You know, it's a, this great big window in front of me, and people passing by. Sometimes they're waving, sometimes they're not. But that's okay. That's fine. It's it's the way life is. And um, we had an election. Was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday we had an election in uh, in Chicago. And Bruce Rauner, it was a primary. It wasn't, you know, it was a primary weeding out people, uh, uh, trying to knock, knock, knock off the incumbents for to have a place on the ballot uh, for the upcoming midterm election. So anyway, um, Rotten Rauner won. I, I don't know why but he won. I mean, the guy shut the government down for two and a half years. Somehow he squeaked by, but he barely won. So that should tell him something. You know, he barely won against Jeannie Ives. I thought Jeannie Ives was going to upset him and knock him off. But uh, he lied so much on her. I mean, he ran all kinds of deceptive ads, and maybe they paid off. I don't know. But anyway, he won. He he's, he squeaked by. But then his challenger is going to be J.B. Prisker. These are two billionaires, folks. These people got lots of money. 
and uh, even uh, the national media saying it's going to be one of the richest uh, government governor races in American history. Uh, money, 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 money. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be money, and uh, a lot of other. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, we voted uh, yesterday. Uh, actually, we did some early voting, so we voted way before uh, uh, yesterday, March twentieth, uh, at the, at the uh, recording and uh, processing of this uh, episode. You know, and I want. I think this is my one hundred, not one hundred. This is my five hundredth episode. Maybe this will be the five hundred and one episode once the show is downloaded, podcasted, and distributed. I think. Um, but anyway, it's it's been fun. I did five hundred. I, I as I said yesterday, I think I've I, I've done actually more than five hundred shows. I've done about seven hundred, or maybe more. Uh, but I uh, deleted a lot of the shows on here, so I that I deleted deleted them. You know, throughout the uh, throughout my tenure. I've deleted a lot of them because for many reasons, for many reasons, uh, you know, uh, technical difficulties, uh, a stupid guest or something. I, I've deleted a lot of the shows or or me or me myself making a mistake, a goofy mistake, you know. So um, you never want bad stuff going out over the air. So you have to delete, delete or edit uh, bad stuff because people will will listen to your bad stuff and they will criticize you and that's it. (laughs) So, but anyways, over 500 shows uh, for me on Black Talk Radio. Congratulate me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, 500 shows. 500 shows. And and it's been fun. It's been really, really fun and I'm hoping to do 500 more. Um, you know, but doing the George Wilder Jr. show is not uh, mandatory. It's some. It's not something that I have to do. It's not something that someone is paying me to do. It's not something someone is forcing me to do or threatening me to do. I do my show because I love doing the show, and I love talking to you, and I love you when it, when you call or you come uh, uh, up here on the show. Um, I love all of that. You know, nobody's forcing this show down my throat. If somebody was forcing this show down my throat, it would not be fun anymore. I would probably give it up. But uh, the George Wilder Jr. show is in the hands of George Wilder Jr. And it will always be that. If if it if it's not that, then I can't do it. All right. Uh, 6.06 straight up Chicago time. It's bright and sunny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's bright and sunny, but, it, you know, I'm on the inside. They're on the outside, but it's cold. Uh, sometimes the sun can be deceiving, and at this point, it is. It really is, especially near the lake, because I'm located near the lake, practically right on the lake. And and it's always, no matter what you think or say, it's always colder, at least in Chicago, it's colder near the lake. So, I mean, when we walk out the door, that that's wind off the lake. We used to call it the hawk, the almighty hawk back in the day, but it still feels like the hawk to me when that wind is whipping around every corner, you walking, oh, you know, so, and, and I I think I stated this yesterday on the show that uh, you have four seasons, at least we still have four seasons, right? Winter, summer, spring, fall. 
it's getting to a point, maybe it's, maybe it has gotten to a point you can't tell one season from the other anymore. You don't know when summer comes, you, <laughs> you may still be uh, getting winter weather. You just can't really tell it anymore. I remember November, uh, sometimes in some Novembers, uh, I mean, we were in the 80s, <laughs> you know, instead of uh, uh, gradually going into winter, we were we were in the 80s at some point and somewhere you know anyway it's george wilder doing the show professional speakers sasha carlari and sonia karis will be on the show today making the world a better place is one show at a time uh making the world a better place one show at a time okay hate lies have no home here guests be nice to one another it is so easy peace is not the absence of conflict the ability but the ability to to cope with it teach the peace you want to see. It has no home here. And leave comments. And also uh, visit my Amazon author page. Some really, really good stuff there. Anyway, welcome to the George Wanda Jr. Show at 608. It seems like it really, <laughs> it seems like, whoa, uh, we got a long way to write. All right, here is Ashley Judge on sexual abuse online. She says she is a great speaker, you know. Probably doing it all over the place. Ashley Judd, stupid fucking slut. You can't sue someone for calling them a cunt. If you can't handle the internet, fuck off, whore. I wish Ashley Judd would die a horrible death. She is the absolute worst. Ashley Judd, you're the reason women shouldn't vote. Twisted is such a bad movie, I don't even want to rape it. Whatever you do, don't tell Ashley Judd she'll die alone with a dried out vagina. If I had to fuck an older woman, oh my God, I would fuck the shit out of Ashley Judd. That bitch is hot AF. F, the unforgivable shit I would do to her. Online misogyny is a global gender rights tragedy, and it is imperative that it ends. <laughs> Girls and women's voices and our allies' voices are constrained in ways that are personally, economically, professionally, and politically damaged. And when we curb abuse, we will expand freedom. I am a Kentucky basketball fan, so on a fine March day last year, I was doing one of the things I do best. I was cheering for my Wildcats. The daffodils were blooming, but the referees were not blowing the whistle when I was telling them to. <laughs> Funny, they're very friendly to me before the opening tip, but they really ignore me during the game. Three of my players were bleeding, so I did the next best thing. I tweeted. It is routine for me to be treated in the ways I've already described to you. It happens to me every single day on social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook. Since I joined Twitter in 2011, misogyny and misogynists have amply demonstrated they will dog my every step. My spirituality, my faith, being a hillbilly, I can say that, you can't, all of it. 
is fair game. And I have responded to this with various strategies. I've tried engaging people. This one guy was sending me hyper-sexual, nasty stuff, and there was a girl in his avatar, and I wrote him back and said, is that your daughter? I feel a lot of fear that you may think about and talk to women this way. And he surprised me by saying, you know what, you're right, I apologize. Sometimes people want to be held accountable. This one guy was musing to I don't know who, that maybe I was the definition of a cunt. I was married to a Scot for 14 years, so I said, cunt means many different things in different countries. But I'm pretty sure you epitomize the global standard of a dick. I've tried to rise above it, I've tried to get in the trenches, but mostly I would scroll through these social media platforms with one eye partially closed, trying not to see it, but you can't make a cucumber out of a pickle. What is seen goes in, it's traumatic. And I was always secretly hoping in some part of me that what was being said to me and about me wasn't true. Because even I, an avowed, self-declared feminist, who worships at the altar of Gloria, <laughs> internalize the patriarchy. This is really critical. Patriarchy is not boys and men. It is a system in which we all participate, including me. On that particular day, for some reason, that particular tweet after the basketball game triggered something called a cyber mob, this vitriolic, global outpouring of the most heinous hate speech, death threats, rape threats. And don't you know, when I was sitting at home alone in my nightgown, I got a phone call, and it was my beloved former husband, and he said on a voicemail, loved one, what is happening to you is not okay. And there was something about him taking a stand for me that night that allowed me to take a stand for myself, and I started to write. I started to write about sharing the fact that I'm a survivor of all forms of sexual abuse, including three rapes, and the hate speech I get in response to that. These are just some of the comments posted to news outlets. Being told I'm a snitch is really fun. Thank you, Jesus. May your grace and mercy shine. So I wrote this feminist op-ed. It is entitled, Forget Your Teen. It is your online gender violence toward girls and women that can kiss my righteous ass. <laughs> and I did that alone, and I published it alone, because my chief advisor said, please don't. The rain of retaliatory garbage that is inevitable, I fear for you. But I trust girls, and I trust women, and I trust our allies. It was published. It went viral. It proves that every single day, online misogyny is a phenomenon endured by us all, all over the world. And when it is intersectional, it is worse. Sexual orientation, gender identity, race, ethnicity, religion, you name it, it amplifies the violence endured by girls and women. And for our younger girls, it is worse. It's clearly traumatizing. Our mental health, our emotional well-being are so gravely affected because the threat of violence is experienced neurobiologically as violence. The cortisol shoots up, the limbic system gets fired, we lose productivity at work. 
and let's talk about work. Our ability to work is constrained. Online searches of women applying for jobs reveal nude pictures of them, false allegations they have STDs, their addresses indicating that they are available for sex. With real examples of people showing up at this house for said sex. Our ability to go to school is impaired. 96% of all postings of sexual images in our young people girls, our girls, our boys, are two to three times more likely non-consensually to share images. And I want to say a word about revenge porn. Part of what came out of this tweet was my getting connected with allies and other activists who are fighting for a safe and free internet. We started something called the Speech Project, curbing abuse, expanding freedom. And that website provides a critical forum because there is no global legal thing to help us figure this out. But we do provide on that website a standardized list of definitions because it's hard to attack a behavior in the right way if we're not all sharing a definition of what that behavior is. And I learned that revenge porn is often dangerously misapplied. It is the non-consensual sharing of an image used tactically to shame and humiliate a girl or woman that attempts to pornography us. Our natural sexuality is, I don't know about yours, pretty gorgeous and wonderful. And my expressing it does not pornography make. So I have all these resources that I'm keenly aware so many people in the world do not. I was able to start the speech project with colleagues. I can often get a social media company's attention. I have a wonderful visit to Facebook HQ coming up. Hasn't helped the idiotic reporting standards yet. I actually pay someone to scrub my social media feeds attempting to spare my brain the daily iterations of the trauma of hate speech. And guess what? I get hate speech for that. Oh, you live in an echo chamber. Well, guess what? Having someone post a photograph of me with my mouth open saying they can't wait to come on my face, I have a right to set that boundary. And this distinction between virtual and real is specious because guess what? That actually happened to me once when I was a child. And so that tweet brought up that trauma and I had to do work on that. But you know what we do? We take all of this hate speech and we disaggregate it and we code it and we give that data so that we understand the intersectionality of it. You know, when I get porn, when it's about political affiliation, when it's about age, when it's about all of it. We're going to win this fight. There are a lot of solutions. Thank goodness. I'm going to offer just a few. And of course, I challenge you to create and contribute your own. Number one, we have to start with digital media literacy. And clearly, it must have a gendered lens. Kids, schools, caregivers, parents, it's essential. Two. Shall we talk about our friends in tech? Said with dignity and respect, the sexism in your workplaces must end.
edge. The global standard for gender equality is the minimum standard, and guess what? Silicon Valley, if L'Oreal in India, in the Philippines, in Brazil, and in Russia can do it, you can too. Enough excuses. Only when women have critical mass in every department at your companies, including building platforms from the ground up, will the conversations about priorities and solutions change. And more love for my friends in tech, profiteering off misogyny and video games must end. I'm so tired of hearing you talk to me at cocktail parties, like you did a couple weeks ago in Aspen, about how deplorable hashtag Gamergate was when you're still making billions of dollars off games that maim and dump women for sport. Basta, as the Italians would say. Enough. Our friends in law enforcement have much to do because we've seen that online violence is an extension of in-person violence. In our country, more girls and women have been murdered by their intimate partners than died on 9-11 and have died since in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. And it's not cool to say that, but it is true. We care so much geopolitically about what men are doing over there to women over there. In 2015, 72,828 women used intimate partner violence services in this country. That is not counting the girls and women and boys who needed them. Law enforcement must be empowered with up-to-date internet technology, the devices, and an understanding of these platforms, how they work. The police wanted to be helpful when Amanda Hess called about the death threat she was getting on Twitter, but they couldn't really when they said, what's Twitter? Our legislators must write and pass astute legislation that reflects today's technology and our notions of free and hate speech. In New York recently, the law could not be applied to a perpetrator because the crimes must have been committed, even if it was anonymous, they must have been committed by telephone, in mail, by telegraph. <laughs> the language must be technologically neutral. So apparently, I've got a pretty bold voice. So let's talk about our friends, white men. You have a role to play and a choice to make. You can do something or you can do nothing. We're cool in this room, but when this goes out, everyone will say, oh my God, she's a reverse racist. That quote was said by a white man, Robert Morris, chairperson, Price Waterhouse Cooper. He asked me to include it in my talk. We need to grow support lines and help groups so victims can help each other when their lives and finances have been derailed. We must, as individuals, disrupt gender violence. As it is happening, 92% of young people, 29 and under, witness it. 72% of us have witnessed it. We must have the courage and urgency to practice stopping it as it is unfolding. And lastly, believe her. Believe her.
This is fundamentally a problem of human interaction. And thus, I believe that human interaction is at the core of our healing. Trauma not transformed will be trauma transferred. Edith Wharton said the end is latent in the beginning, so we are going to end this talk replacing hate speech with love speech. Because I get lonely in this, but I know that we are allies. I recently learned about how gratitude and affirmations offset negative interactions. It takes five of those to offset one negative interaction. And gratitude in particular, free, available globally, anytime, anywhere, to anyone in any dialect. It fires the pregenual anterior singlet, a watershed part of the brain that floods it with great good stuff. So I'm going to say awesome stuff about myself. I would like for you to reflect it back to me. It might sound something like this. I am a powerful and strong woman, and you would say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. My mama loves me. Yes, she does. I did a great job with my talk. Yes, you did. I have a right to be here. Yes, you do. I'm really cute. Yes, you are. God does good work. Yes, does. And I love you. Thank you so much for letting me be of service. <laughs> Making the world a better place, <laughs> one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. <laughs> All right. Folks, it looks like Mark Zuckerberg is in the hot seat again. If you don't know who Mark Zuckerberg is, he's the guy who founded Facebook. And I guess you know where I'm going. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, he addresses the Cambridge Analytical incident as Facebook fumbles. I've talked to a lot of people and I've heard that, um, that some people have just uh, deleted their Facebook accounts because we've been burned many times by Facebook. Why should we trust Facebook now? I mean, you've, we've all heard it. 50 million people, 50 million Facebook uh, accounts, 50 million people, 50 million members of Facebook had their information stolen, private uh, information private. How many times have you heard Facebook talk about privacy before this happened? Privacy this, privacy that. And then it seemed as if Mark Zuckerberg, the uh, CEO, founder of Facebook, let happen. 
he let this happen to a uh, uh, Cambridge, this firm, Cambridge Analytica, who has ties to Trump campaign. And I'm I'm hearing that Mark Zuckerberg said that he didn't, they that they had promised him to to keep our information private. Please, please. I think this guy is smarter than that. So uh, a lot of people, a lot of uh, people, uh, in, including Jim Carrey, I'm starting to love him again because he <laughs> he's making fun of a lot of this, but he's being serious all at the same time. Jim Carrey, Yates Ventura, he's out there blasting uh, uh, Zuckerberg, Donald Trump, and everybody else who uh, was a part of this. Your information, my information, 50 million Facebook users, our information was compromised by some firm called Cambridge Analytical that seems to have been approved by Mark Zuckerman. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of users out there, Facebook users out there, are uh, trying to figure out some sort of legal uh, remedy uh, for this. And and face, uh, I mean, Zuckerberg is all over the place apologizing. We got to do better. We got to do better than this. We got to do better. Uh, we this can't happen again. We're gonna put in put put in all kinds of safeguards. But the damage is done. Our information is out there. You know, one of the things one of the things that bothers me about some of these firms that totally totally have. I'm speaking about myself now. Some of these firms that have my information. Uh, I mean, I go on Facebook. If I go to Amazon.com, if I go to uh, uh, shopping or something, and I click back on Facebook, uh, on there's an advertisement telling me that I had have been to Amazon and I looked at this certain project, this 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 certain product, sorry, this certain product, and I I purchased this and I purchased that. Uh, This is on. Why are so many of these uh, information gathering um, companies or firms following you all over the internet, no matter what you do, where you go. It's right there, letting you know that they know what you like. They know where you've been. They know what you bought. They they know your preferences. They know your address. They know your phone number. They may even have your credit card information. And it's all because of Facebook. Facebook failed to keep our information private. I mean, when you put your phone number in, when you put your address, you put your age, you put your what school you went to, where you work at, Facebook wants to know all of this. And then behind our backs, they give that information without our consent, without ever knowing anything about it, to third and fourth and fifth parties so they can try to take that information, track us around, you know, try to sell us stuff, scam us, con us, or whatever, without our consent. Zuckerberg had no business letting this stuff happen. That's why, that's why his stock is the stock index is falling. Members are are giving up their accounts because they said they don't want people to know about have their information. As I said, Zuckerberg is apologizing all over the place, but that's fine. But it's been done. It's been done. 
and he can be sued. I don't know. I mean, there's people talking about ending their Facebook account because of this. Because Mark Zuckerberg and his people, they're always coming up with, with excuses to keeping information private, but somehow they do not keep it private. Now I'm wondering if Zuckerberg was paid off to do this. And if he was paid off, it will it will be found out, you know. So this this is totally wrong. I mean, our information. I'm on Facebook. I know you are too, or you know someone who's on it. I mean, every the, the whole damn world is on Facebook, and uh, it, it's just scary to know that your information, my information, is out there somewhere in the wrong hands of someone who will try to do us harm. It's out there. I mean, anytime you do any kind of banking or purchasing or buying or you're clicking like or you, you, you're responding to a post, your information gets out there. They know how to get that information, steal it without your ability, without you even knowing that it's been stolen. And the thing about it, uh, Cambridge Analytical, uh, they have ties to Donald Trump. I don't know how much Donald Trump knew about this, but you know how much, or 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 anything. I don't know if this was something illegally done by Donald Trump. Um, anyway, Donald Trump is say, isn't saying anything about this, and he should. He should be. Uh, it, this could be the another reason why Donald Trump is president of the United States is that Cambridge Analytical ripped off. Uh, a private information of 50 million Facebook users. If I said anything else, it's 50 million or more because there are billions of people on Facebook all around the world. That's billions. So 50 million might be a, a drop in the bucket, but still in all, it's wrong. And people are taking Facebook to task. There are some people out there who don't give a damn. Well, okay, well, what am I going to do? Well, what can I do? <laughs> um, you can get pissed off. You can get upset. You can, you, can, you, you can shout and scream. You can do something about it instead of sitting back and taking it. I mean, when people are abusing and misusing your information, you don't sit back and say, I, I can't do nothing about it. You can't sit back and say, well, it's no big deal because it's, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. All right, you've been lis listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show at 6.34, straight up Chicago time. Um, it's sunny, but it's cold outside. It looks good. Uh, and I, I am just so uh, uh, proud that it's daylight savings time. We'll have a little bit more time in the day once spring finally is sprung because it still feels like winter at the moment in the city of Chicago. That's not but we're not as bad off as some people around the country with snowstorms, blizzards, rains, you know. Um, so we just have to be blessed on that front. But we will among uh, in among and in some of these uh, areas where it feels and looks like the dead of winter, <laughs> the dead of winter. All right. You've been listening to the George Wanda Jr. Jr. Show. Take a musical break and we will we will be right back.
I understood early that Facebook was how Donald Trump was going to win. Twitter is how he talked to the people. Facebook was going to be how he won. I think Donald Trump won, <laughs> but I think Facebook is, was the method. It was the highway in which his car drove on. This week, we learned a little bit more about how your top source for baby pics and engagement photos turned into a political battleground. Facebook has banned Cambridge Analytica, a firm that ran the Trump campaign's data operations, after reports emerged that the firm accessed the private information of more than 50 million users without permission. Cambridge Analytica has been backed by Trump mega-donor Robert Mercer, and Steve Bannon was once its vice president. Last fall, special counsel Robert Mueller asked for the emails of any Cambridge Analytica employees who worked on the Trump campaign. In a series of interviews, former employee-turned-whistleblower Christopher Wiley described how the firm weaponized personal data to wage a culture war. We would know what kinds of messaging you would be susceptible to, including the framing of it, the topics, the contents, the tone whether it's scary or not, that kind of thing. Websites will be created, blogs will be created, whatever it is that we think this target profile will be receptive to, we will create content on the internet for them to find. And then they see that and they click it and they go down the rabbit hole. In a statement to NBC News, Cambridge Analytica denied Wiley's claims. Joining me now, Natasha Bertrand, staff writer for The Atlantic, Gabriel Sherman, special correspondent for Vanity Fair, and Kurt Bardella, who's a former Breitbart media consultant. And I want to start by playing another bite um, from uh, Mr. Wiley, who spoke to The Guardian. Uh, and this is about how Cambridge Analytica went about gathering up all of your data. Take a look. If you joined the app... I would not just see your Facebook profile. I would see all of the Facebook profiles of everybody that you're friends with. We would only need to, to, to you know, touch a couple hundred thousand people to expand into their entire social network, which would then scale us to you know, most of America. Those profiles were used as the basis of the algorithms that became the foundation of Cambridge Analytica itself. You know, Gabriel, you know, this Mr. Wiley has said that in a sense, Cambridge Analytica developed psychographic mm -hmm. profiles of about 230 million Americans by extrapolating, mm -hmm. by saying this group of people said yes to mm -hmm. the app, downloaded it, and gave their data. Yeah. But Facebook then gave the, all of their friends data mm -hmm. who didn't give permission. And so they're building these psych psychographic profiles and then using that to target you with just the thing that will get you yeah. to change your mind. Mm -hmm. This is psychological warfare. Yeah. How is it legal for this to be done through Facebook? Well, really, Joy, you raise a great point. I think no, the, the regulation is a complete gray area. It's the Wild West, as Facebook has slowly come to acknowledge. They're just happy to rake in the money from the advertising platform that they've created. And listen, the only way companies change, we know, they're not altruistic. They change either because their customers revolt or the government comes in and says, you can't do this. In the case of Facebook, unfortunately, the American people have decided even after all their data is being sold off and used against them, mm -hmm. they're still happy to use Facebook. So now this is making the case that the government needs to take some action. Yeah, and let's talk about what the, um, 
what the Trump campaign actually got out of Cambridge Analytica, um, and this is three from our producers, I didn't warn you in advance, under the guidance of Brad Parscale, who you just saw on the screen a little earlier, Cambridge performed a variety of services, former campaign officials said. It included designing target audiences for digital ads, fundraising appeals, modeling voter turnout, buying $5 million in television ads, and determining where Trump should travel to best drum up support. Brad Parscale, who used Cambridge Analytica to do these things, is now going to be running the 2020 Trump campaign. Uh, how worried should Americans be that their data is going to be manipulated and stolen again? Brad Parscale, who directed the data operation under the purview of Jared Kushner. Um, this is something Important. that adds a, an entirely new dimension to Mueller's investigation. It really raises questions about whether or not anything illegal was done during the election in terms of harvesting 50 million profiles off Facebook um, in order to target voters better. And I think that one aspect of this that's really, really interesting is that the person who created kind of who is the liaison between Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, who kind of helped develop this this software, for lack of a better word, to, right. to obtain this data was a Russian-American based in St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there has been, uh, of course, more reporting done on Cambridge Analytica's ties to Russia. We found out that as early as 2014, this Russian oil company was asking Cambridge Analytica or SCL group, the, the parent company, hey, how can we learn more about the political targeting of American voters? Yeah. And there was a lot of confusion surrounding why a Russian oil company wanted to know how to target voters uh, in the United States. So these ties go back really, uh, these ties to Russia go back and they have been vehemently denied yeah. by Cambridge Analytica. And if we can just show, go on. Okay, just one more point on that. I think there's a lot of speculation, this has not been corroborated, but that if somehow the Russian government or Russian state actors got a hold of the Trump campaign voter file and the psycho graphic profiles that Cambridge Analytica had made, they could augment and amplify these messages by putting their bot army behind it, which sure. would be sort of a force multiplier of the Trump message. Yeah, absolutely. And let's just look at the sort of organizational chart of the ties between Cambridge Analytica and Trump board. Obviously, of Robert Mercer and his daughter Becca, the big Trump donors who invested $15 million in Cambridge Analytica and are suspected of also meddling around and mucking around with Brexit as well through that company. Steve Bannon, who was the campaign chairman, who was on the board uh, of Cambridge Analytica. And then you had Michael Flynn. And that stands out to me. Michael Flynn, who was the former national security advisor for 27 days, was an advisor to Cambridge Analytica. We know he's also taking money uh, from the Kremlin, sitting at the table with Vladimir Putin. Um, I want to go to one more little bite about what Chris Wiley said, and come to Kurt Bidella on this, on what Bannon in particular wanted out of this relationship. Steve wanted weapons for his culture war. That's what he wanted. And that's, that's we, we offered him a way to accomplish what he wanted to do, which in was which was changed the culture of America. And Kurt Bardella, having worked for Brian Barn and worked with Bannon, changed the culture of America in what way and change it into what? Well, I think Steve has talked oftentimes about his goal of destroying, deconstructing the administrative state in this country, of tearing down the pillars, whether it's free press, whether it's the mainstream media, establishment political parties. That's what his goal has been from all along. And he wants to use social media Facebook, all these profiles and data to wage that war, to target people, to manip manipulate them, to advance the idea really of feeding them their brand of news, what we would probably call fake news, and, and infiltrate how they think. And but infiltrate, infiltrate how, how they, they think information. to turn people into what? What does he want people to believe he in? He wants them to be soldiers in his, in his army of disruption, of being of sailing against everything 
that is normal, everything that is establishment. He wants to use these people to amplify their extreme messages, their extreme rhetoric. I think the key thing that stands out here is the realization that this data, these 50 million profiles and information that, that Cambridge has, has clearly been shared with Bannon, with Breitbart, with the Trump campaign, that these profiles are out there, these data sets are out there. We don't know how far they go, who has control of them. Is, is, is Brad going to use them in this coming campaign? Because they haven't been destroyed. Yeah, indeed. And the other people that were, they were giving access to the same data to uh, were Russian oil companies. Um, we now have from the New York Times uh, that Luke Oil, a Russian oil company, was interested in how data could be used to target American voters. Here's the quote from Christopher Wiley. We're sending them stuff about political targeting. They come and ask more about political targeting. And he says that he added that Luke Oil just didn't seem to be interested in how the techniques could be used commercially. Mm -hmm. So now you have commercial Russian oil companies also wanting this data. Why in the world might they want that? Mm -hmm. Well, clearly, and as we know, in Russia, the, the state is intertwined with basically all big business in that country. So the idea that just an oil company would be interested in Cambridge Analytica, to me, that shows that the Russian state is interested in using these profiles against Americans. Yeah, and we also have, Natasha, um, news that from the Daily Beast that WikiLeaks is also connected to Cambridge Analytica in that Nix, who's the, one of the leaders of Cambridge Analytica, wrote in an email that he reached out to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange about Hillary Clinton's missing 33,000 emails. So now we have one more connection. Right, and I would just add that there's a lot that we still don't know about the Trump campaign's data operation. There is, you know, there are a number of people that were connected to the campaign who were paid via, you know, LLCs and, and shell companies to conduct social media work, and we don't know still what the what the what the content of that social media work was. And there is one name that stands out in particular. It's John Idonacy. He's a Michael Flynn kind of guy. And he was brought on by the campaign. And he, now he's of interest to, uh, before the House Intel Committee was essentially shut down, he was put on the list of, of potential witnesses to kind of figure out who this guy is, why he was, whether he or not he was connected to Cambridge Analytica, and why he was paid via a venture capital firm um, by the Trump campaign, which is, of course was, was perhaps used to kind of shield, um, you know, the the content of his work. So the right. social media aspect of the Trump campaign's uh, work during during the election, of course, is really still shrouded in a lot of secrecy. And they're going to do it again. Yeah, I mean, that clearly Brad Parscale is, is running the campaign. There's a lot of talk that Jared Kushner is going to have a soft landing from the White House and move over to being sort of a campaign chairman. So you're getting the old crew back together. Getting the old crew back together. And Kurt Bardella without Bannon. Yeah, well, Bannon's in political exile right now, but he's also right now in France, in Italy, trying to build new alliances with the extreme wings of the political parties that are going on there. And again, after the election, Cambridge Analytica, Alexander Nix, went on this global tour to try to promote what they were doing, how they did it in the U.S., how they did it with Trump, and they're trying to sell it to other countries. They did the same thing in India yep. with the opposition party of Prime Minister Modi. Wow. Uh, manufacturing yeah. consent yeah. worldwide. Okay. Uh, Thanks, everybody. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. It is all about making the world a better place. Join me.
All right. The George Wilder um, Jr. Show is now on the air. It is on. All right. Zuckerberg is still addressing this. Um, this is this is what Zuckerberg is saying, the founder of Facebook. I want to share an update to the Cambridge Analytical situation, including steps we've taken and our next steps to address the important issue. We have re- we have a responsibility to protect your data information, uh, and we can't. Then we don't deserve to serve you if we can't. Protect your data. We don't deserve to say to serve you. This is Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. I've been working to understand exactly what happened and how to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And I've said that I've said it several times. It doesn't matter if he's working to try to make make it sure it doesn't happen again. The point is that our information is out there. Our private information is in the hands of the wrong kinds of people. Now. How do we get that information back? We can't. We can't. We can just hope that it doesn't it isn't being used for malicious purposes or for something like the upcoming 2018 uh, midterm elections or the presidential election of 2020. You know, so uh, I mean, he. And Zuckerberg also failed to clarify how exactly Cambridge Analytica had to and kept using harvest data for a full two years after Facebook learned Cambridge had acquired it. This is getting deeper and deeper and deeper for Mark Zuckerman. A lot of people are telling him to zuck off, uh, placing... Uh, I mean, th- this is crazy. I mean, this happened maybe two years ago, and we're just learning about it right now that our information was compromised two years ago. And who knows what they've done without inf- our information, our private information that Facebook was was supposed to safeguard. It's just awful. It's just awful. And... He does not offer the feeble defense that Facebook asked for and received a formal clarification from the company verifying it deleted the data, but it was not clearly sufficient, insufficient. They did not delete anything. They probably have that information, our information, 50 million or more Facebook users. They may have that information right at their hands as I speak and as other people are more and more pissed off at Mark Zuckerberg for not for not protecting our Facebook members, uh, our valuable uh, information. Uh, I mean, it, it's scary to know that someone has your address. It's scary to know that someone knows when you were born, have your social security number. It's scary to know that someone has your name and your account numbers and all of this stuff. You know they can easily easily pretend to be you and clean out your bank account. And all Mark Zuckerberg can say is that we have a responsibility to protect your data, and they didn't. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. So a lot of people, I mean, 
a lot of people are suing Mark Zuckerman, the guy who founded Facebook. He may have to shut Facebook down. But you got some people out there hoping it doesn't happen because because there's, there's a lot of people on Facebook who, who actually live on Facebook. <laughs> They've got no other life but Facebook. And, uh, I mean, they're on Facebook 24 hours a day. I mean, once they get off work, hey, it's Facebook all day long and all evening. People are peering down at their phones. And it, it's Facebook, Facebook, and Facebook. As I go back and I repeat, I mean, how many times have Facebook said they wanted and Facebook, they're always asking for something, your phone number, uh, verify your account or, or whatever, or we need to update this, update that. And and yet they're not uh, uh, securing your data, your information from hackers. They may be even, how do we know Mark Zuckerberg did not, how do he know, how do we know he didn't sell any of our personal or private information to some of these companies, these rogue companies, these rump, these rogue companies that's going to use our information, uh, our voting information, savings account information. It's just pathetic. It's just pathetic. And if you are a Facebook member, you should be worried because a lot of members are are, are ending their accounts with Facebook. But from what I hear, if you try to end your account with Facebook, I mean, just deleting your account will not kind of, uh, you'll still be a member of Facebook. But if you delete your account, you'll still be a member at least for 90 more days until your account is fully deleted. This is what I'm understanding. Uh, and another thing, I don't, uh, another thing I'm trying to hear is that even if you delete your account, what good is that? Because your information is still out there and they can still compromise Facebook and go and hack Facebook and still get your information. So I think the best bet is probably stay with Facebook. Do not delete your account because whether you delete it or you keep it, your information could still be out there and you could still be compromised. Even if you uh, decide to, to delete Facebook from your account, you can still be um, hacked or scammed or your information could be used the wrong way. The only thing we can do now is maybe hope that Mark Zuckerberg, uh, I, I believe he's going to be questioned some more and it's gonna be in front of Congress because a lot of, a lot of members of Congress, they're on Facebook too. <laughs> they're right there. So they are worried just like uh, we are, the people here, um, grassroots people are. So. Yeah, Zuckerberg is in the hot seat, and a lot of people are pissed off. A lot of people are angry. Ordinary people are angry that their um, um, information uh, could be in the hands of the wrong kinds of people, voting information. They may be using our information to uh, hack our voting systems. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The United States is really, really, really... Okay, this is, uh, I'm quoting uh, Zuckerberg again. He's saying that you, you deserve to have your information protected. Of course we do. And we'll keep working to make sure you feel safe on Facebook. Okay, this is a quote from someone else. Your trust 
is at the core of our service. We know that and we will work to earn it. I mean, you haven't worked to earn it all of these years, and now you're saying you're, you're starting to work to earn our trust after people have already been on Facebook for 5, 10, 15 years so far already? Wow. Yeah, and, and as I've said before, a lot of people are dissing Facebook. They're just giving it up. It, 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 and they are, and the stocks are falling uh, people are, are disinvesting in Facebook. I mean, you got Jim Carrey, the actor, uh, criticizing and, and <laughs> criticizing uh, Zuckerberg. And Jim Carrey, has, uh, he has uh, deleted his account with Facebook, took up all of his stocks and shares, from, and he's asking other people to do the same. Um, Facebook is, has fumbled this. I mean, they have... Uh, they have screwed up, and people are upset. As I've said before, a lot of people aren't going to do anything uh, uh, to make pay Facebook pay because they live on Facebook. You got so many people live on Facebook. I mean, when they pick up their phone or they go to their, go to their laptop or whatever, the first thing they click on is Facebook, and they're there until the duration. You got people on Facebook who never click like. They never respond. They never post, but they're there. What you do, <laughs> and criticizing what you do, but they never. But it, it, it's 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 um it's awful, especially when Cambridge Analytica is tied to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has yet to say anything about this at all. It's, uh, theft of data benefited his election. So anything that anything that benefits Donald Trump, I mean, uh, he doesn't say anything about it <laughs> because he's got his he's got enough to worry about the investigations, uh, Stormy Daniels, <laughs> and so on and so on and so forth, collusion, um, obstruction of justice. Be asshole president. He's got so much uh, on his plate right now. And this is just uh, another, uh, this is probably something uh, uh, special counselor Robert Mueller is going to want to take a look at if he's not looking at it already. I speak. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. It is 7.01 straight up Chicago time. And uh, we're starting to get that groove again, folks. We're starting to uh, get that groove again. Okay. Hey there, friends and fans. This is George Wilder Jr. of the George Wilder Jr. Show. (laughs) I want you to enjoy my fictional writings located on Amazon and elsewhere. Uh, The website is www.amazon.com slash author slash gwilder or go to the Amazon website and type my name in the text bar above to either order or download a book, a story, essays, novels, novelettes, whatever you want to do. And I want to thank you very much for that. And as always, good reading. This is George Wilder Jr. And keep listening. There's always more to come. All right. Thank you, everybody. 
All right. Uh, Donald Trump is having second thoughts about spending deals. Of course, Donald Trump doesn't want to spend anything in the budget. We, he doesn't want to pay his bills, just like some other Republicans don't. Donald Trump is having second thoughts about supporting the spending deal that was reached Wednesday morning. OK, it was a spending deal. I'm pretty sure it was bipartisan that was reached. Uh, uh, he doesn't want nothing to be spent. If he wants something to be spent, he wants it spent on the wall. The source also said that House Speaker Paul Ryan plans to go uh, to the White House on Wednesday afternoon and try to sell the president on the GOP uh, on uh, on the GOP wins in the uh, 1.3 trillion dollar government funding deal and assured assured him that it's good deal for Republicans. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about the Republicans. He doesn't give a damn about the American people. He doesn't give a damn about America. That's why he's having second thoughts on this spending bill that's going to keep America from falling into the abyss. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn. He doesn't care. He, he, he couldn't care if we all starved to fucking death. He really doesn't. He couldn't care if we all dropped dead because he knows that we don't like him and he's trying to fight back. He has a war with the American people. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn. He just doesn't care. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't sign this spending bill into law, that's going to, uh, because Congress has an obligation to pay his bills. If he doesn't sign this spending bill into law, um, both houses, the uh, uh, both houses, which are the House of Representatives and the Senate can get together and override him and, you know, uh, on this budget. And, and, and that's what's going to happen if he refuses. And it looks like he will uh, because he's upset at something. <laughs> he's always pissed off. He's a mean, mean, honorary, nasty, fat little man. Trump is a apparently most upset about the spending deal deals lack of funding for a wall along okay okay there's no money for his wall so he's pissed off so he wants to kill off everybody because there's no money for his wall he cares more about his wall than he does america he doesn't give a damn about and and most americans know that donald trump doesn't give a damn uh up, up for them and he wants the worst for America. There's no doubt about it. So the deal which would fund the government until October would provide one, uh, $1.6 billion for border wall funding, but only $441 million for a wall for funding. And Donald Trump doesn't like that. There is something in the bill for his wall. I mean, he's been in... He's been president for maybe a year and a half now. And uh, what did he first say when he started talking about Mexico was going to build a wall? Mexico was going to build a wall. Mexico was going to build a wall. He tried to bully Mexico into building a wall along the uh, California coast. Uh, It's just crazy. And Mexico, I mean... They shot back at Trump and gave him the finger, and they still giving him the finger. Why would you want to build a wall to keep people out? That's crazy. Or to keep people in. That's nutty. But that's Donald Trump. 
he's a racist pig. I mean, he's a white supremacist. He's a bigot. He, he's a nasty pig man. And he's a dummy. He doesn't know crap. I mean, if you don't know how to spell, constantly don't know how to spell, you don't know good grammar, why do you keep tweeting every day? Millions and millions of Americans are going to jump in your ass because you don't know what you're doing. You can't spell. You can't. Your, your grammar is all off, but Donald Trump doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to care what people say about him. He's going to be as mean and as nasty and as controversial as he can be. And if he can destroy America to get what he wants, that's what he's going to do. But at least Robert Mueller is still on the case investigating his ass. At least Stormy Daniels and the, uh, these other women are coming forward saying that Donald Trump did something similar. And we want to get out of these disclosure, dis disclosure agreements so we can be free to talk about the sexual relationships we've had with Donald Trump. Donald Trump does a lot of things, as, as we probably know already, to distract us, to distract us. But we have to realize one thing. Every time Donald Trump tries to distract us, the Republicans in Congress who control Congress, they're writing all kinds of bills and, and, and things that hurt America so they can hand it to Donald Trump so he can sign it. Donald Trump don't give a damn about what's in a bill, how is it. If it's hurting people, he's going to sign it. You know, if it's benefiting him, he's going to personally benefiting him. He's going to sign it. He doesn't give a damn if you if you have health insurance. He doesn't give a damn if you uh, starve to death. He doesn't give a damn if you sleeping in the park. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a damn if you're sleeping on the corner. In a tent or something. He doesn't. And uh, now he wants to withhold money that's vital to the United States and the Republicans have passed and the Democrats have passed. He doesn't seem like he wants to sign it because he's crying. He's being a three-year-old child crying because he can't get his wall as if we were supposed to pay for it in the first place. We were not. It was not supposed to be on the taxpayer dime. It was supposed to be paid for by, yeah, Mexico. Now, we got to suffer because he wants his, <laughs> he can't get his wall. So he doesn't want uh, America to have any money, any money to be funded. So these bills can be paid. So he doesn't want to do that. This is typical Donald Trump. Donald Trump, even in his private life, his businesses, and he had um, contractors working for him. He didn't want to pay them. He didn't want to give them, pay them on there. They had to sue them. They had to sue to get it. So th this is typical Donald Trump not wanting to pay his bills, not wanting to pay America's bills because he can't get what he wants. He's a three-year-old child kicking his, kicking his feet against the wall and crying and throwing a tantrum because he can't get what he wants. So he's going to make sure everything else is destroyed because he can't get what he wants. And this is Donald Trump. Congressional leaders uh, announced, uh, you know, the deal on Wednesday. But Donald Trump is the government is currently funded through Friday. OK, so we have to have this spending bill by Friday. Yeah, upcoming Friday, this upcoming Friday, we got to have it, you know. 
A senior GOP aide told Huffington Post that the strongest argument Republicans have in convincing Trump is that he would draw uh, 100% of the blame for a shutdown if he backed out of the out of the deal now. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about a shutdown. He's hoping for a shutdown because he knows America doesn't like him. He knows he's not wanted. He knows he's going to go to jail and hopefully be impeached. So this this is a mess that Donald Trump uh, will not... Uh, he's having second thoughts about funding to keep America afloat. And this is, I said, this is typical Donald Trump playbook. Don't pay your bills. I mean, Donald Trump, I mean, he's told about almost 3,000 lies uh, since he's been in office. And and I'm hearing that he's had over 3,500 lawsuits against his ass. A loss, and, and he will be sued again for letting this happen. He will be the blame. He will be the blame. But Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about blame. He'll, he'll stay in a minute. I'll take the heat. I'll take the heat. He takes the heat because, and then he just brushes it right off because he doesn't give a fuck. He just doesn't care. And in that way, I think Donald Trump thinks he's fighting back, you know, taking away uh, meals on wheels. Seniors can't eat. They can't go to, out to some of these senior citizens uh, not senior centers because the government has closed them. Donald Trump loves that. I mean, you see how he gloated and laughed and celebrated when he fired Andrew McCabe. He was gloating. He, uh, the guy was uh, hours away, from my understanding, hours away from collecting his pension after 21 years, and out, he was hours away, and Trump fired him because Trump did not want him getting his pension. And then he celebrated it. Trump doesn't give a damn about me, you, or anybody. But since Democrats, he doesn't care. He wants what he wants and when he wants it and how he wants it. If he feels that he's not going to sign this budget deal, as I've said, Republicans and Democrats, they know how vital this is. They know America needs it. Override him. Threaten, threaten him with the override. He'll sign it then because he he doesn't want to override on his on his uh, record. Anyway, Trump should be the best that he can be because the midterms are coming up. He should try to get on America's good side. But Trump, I mean, he is what he is. And we just have to deal with Trump. And um, hopefully uh, they will override this guy. They have no other choice if he refuses to sign this budget deal for this funding.
Johansson is speaking right now here in Washington. I want to listen in. And when the time came for STD and cancer screenings, no judgment, no questions asked, Planned Parenthood provided a safe place where I could be treated with gentle guidance. Now, I may have been 15 and surprisingly self-sufficient, but I'm sure there isn't one person here who has not been helped by Planned Parenthood directly or otherwise. When I knew I was coming to speak on behalf of women's reproductive and health issues, every single one of my girlfriends had a story about Planned Parenthood. They saved me so many times. One of my best girlfriends confided in me, saying, they saved my ass and some other parts too. When I found out I had precancerous signs I never would have known about without my annual checkups, and her speech grew more em emphatic and emotional as she described how the organization had helped her decide between treatment options. She was able to make some difficult decisions, deciding what was right for her, for her body, and her then partner without anyone else's interference. My sister also used Planned Parenthood services for years after moving states. She'd been living her whole life in New York City, pursuing her, whole, her dream to move to California. She had no contacts and no health insurance, but was able to regularly see a doctor at a Planned Parenthood clinic for screenings, advice, birth control, and checkups. For the more than 2.5 million patients a year that rely on Planned Parenthood services for cancer and STD screenings, birth control, safe abortion and pregnancy planning, these are uncertain and anxious times. Lawmakers in 24 states have tried to block patients from receiving care at Planned Parenthood. Congress has voted to limit access to reproductive services nine times. Boo! Yes, boo! There are very real and devastating consequences to limiting access to what should be considered basic health care. For millions of Americans, Planned Parenthood is often the only trustworthy and affordable clinic providing safe education, sex education, safe abortion, and life-saving services. President Trump, I did not vote for you. That said, I respect that you are our president-elect and I want to be able to support you. But first, I ask that you support me. Support my sister, support my mother, support my best friend and all of our girlfriends. Support the men and women here today that are anxiously awaiting to see how your next moves may drastically affect their lives. Support my daughter, who may actually, as a result of the appointments you have made, grow up in a country that is moving backwards, not forwards, and who may potentially not have the right to make choices for her body and her future that your daughter Ivanka has been privileged to have. I ask you to support all women and our fight for equality in all things, including the fight to be recognized 
as individuals who know better for ourselves what is right for our bodies, better than any elected official, popular or otherwise. It is a great honor for me to be speaking here in front of all of you today. After the result of this November's election, I felt as a woman, as an American citizen, a great weight bearing down on my shoulders, the feeling that the near future would present many obstacles, confrontation and division. My immediate thought after hearing the election results was, oh man, we have so much work to do. But once the heaviness began to subside, I realized that an opportunity has presented itself to make real long-term change, not just for future Americans, but in the way that we view our responsibilities to get involved with and stay active in our communities. Let this weight not drag you down, but help to get your heels stuck in. I pledge my relentless devotion to support women's health care initiatives. I will not stop fighting to make basic women's health care available to all. I believe with every fiber of my being that the conversations that we have with our partners and our doctors about what we do with our bodies and our future should not be made fodder for any politician, political agenda, lawmaker, and for-profit corporation. We must stand up for what are our basic human rights and always move forward, never backwards. The current political administration exactly. benefits from taking the power away from us. Don't give up your power. Don't. Don't let the feelings of helplessness make you complacent. I urge you all to make a difference on the ground. Volunteer. Volunteer with organizations that help women seeking a safe place to make some of the most difficult decisions of their lives. Donate to causes. <laughs> all righty okay that was uh scarlet show johansson the the actress uh you know so she she has her uh way she uh feels uh remember when trump called african countries haitian shithole countries that's gonna live in infamy I mean, a lot of things Trump does is going to live in infamy. I mean, we'll never forget. It. It's going to go down in history. He's already gone down in history as the worst president ever uh, in the universe, in the damn universe. He, he is one of the worst, and he will continue to be the worst uh, because that's what he I mean. He wants a wall. He's right for America crumble for him to get his wall. No, say I mean we just have to take the country back. I mean I'm 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 kind of uh, stumbling here, stuttering, but I do know that uh, we have to take this country back. The Republicans and 
you know, Chicago had an election yesterday. It, you know, boo hoo hoo hoo. A lot of people stayed home. A lot of people voted against their interests. What else is new? Um, that that just happened. A lot of people um, didn't vote at all. And as I've stated the other day, some people who do not vote think it's a badge of honor not to vote. You know, I mean, a lot of people stayed home. I mean, that's why I think Rauner is is in this contest. Um, a lot of people, I mean, Tony Prepwinkle should have never been voted back into uh, the Cook County, voted never voted back to being the Cook County president of, of Chicago. I mean, she's rotten, uh, all the way rotten through and through. She should have, but people, they either vote against their own interests, vote against people who don't give a damn about them, or they don't vote at all. And they feel like it's a badge of, oh, I didn't vote. <laughs> I'm king of the world. I didn't vote. Yeah. But a lot of these people who vote for the wrong people, and once they realize that the, people, the wrong people that they voted for does not have their best interest at heart, oh, wow, I shouldn't have voted for that guy. Or some people who... Um, didn't vote and find out that they are being affected negatively about uh, to why they didn't vote, you know, but it's too late. You know, I mean, um, yeah, people vote. There was a lot of people voted. The voter, uh, voter turnout was pretty high, but not high enough, not high as it should have been, you know, and this was one, of, this was a race. Uh, this was an energetic and excited race. Uh, in, in the city of Chicago on, on March 20th. It was a uh, uh, exciting and, and serious race, you know. I mean, <laughs> who can't laugh at politicians uh, buying ads and commercials lying on each other? That's all it was. <laughs> I think Bruce Rounder lied so much, it, it paid off for him. I mean, he lied on Jeannie Ives. Jeannie Ives, <laughs> the Republicans were calling foul. Uh, his party was calling foul. I mean, they politicians were lying on each other left and right, and the liars seem to have won. Uh, yeah, the liars seem to have won, but it was a nasty contest, and now we have a contest between two billionaires, J.B. Prisker and uh, and and Bruce Rauner, uh, coming up for the midterms.
From the mighty and the mighty from the small. 